Coming up hot off money in the bank, one of the innovators of the ladder match joins the podcast. We have got plenty to talk about with Captain Charisma as ATB starts now. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves. I am still all jacked up several days later. Well, to be perfectly honest, it's less than a day later. After Money in the Bank, the most unique one in WWE history. I could sit here all day and pontificate alone, but I think I'd rather have a friend join me to pontificate alongside me. He is known for, I don't know, a litany of exploits in WWE, particularly ladder matches that he helped make famous. My guest at this time, Christian. Christian, one of the innovators of the ladder match, particularly within WWE, you helped mold what we have uh, come to know and love as an integral part of WWE nowadays. We are less than 24 hours removed while recording this from the most unique Money in the Bank ladder match ever in WWE. What are your thoughts initially? Um, My initial thoughts are uh, the being thrown off the roof of headquarters is the new being tipped off the ladder and um, crushing yourself on the top rope. Top that. (laughs) Top that. Yeah. I'm curious to see what uh, what state of affairs and physical ability or lack thereof uh, Alistair Black and Rey Mysterio are in in the very immediate future. Yeah, no, I mean, my initial thoughts were obviously it wasn't a traditional uh, ladder match in the sense of um, what I, I came up doing and, and those sorts of things. But, you know, we're in a unique situation, the world at this point in time. And um, anytime, you know... <laughs> You know, having WrestleMania at the, at the Performance Center, it's unheard of. But for me, it was necessary to, to do that show, to give the world some entertainment, to give them an escape. That being said, it also gives an opportunity to do more unique things, um, you, know, like, uh, you know, like we saw with the Funhouse and uh, the Boneyard match. And now with this, this Money in the Bank match, I thought it was, it was innovative. I thought it was well done. I thought it was different. And different is hard to do these days. And... Um, more than anything, it was. I think that every participant in it came off looking better going in. To me, that's uh, that's important. I completely agree with you. And I was actually driving home last night after the pay per view, and in particular, what stood out to me was actually Dana Brooke um, for for basically the comic relief of the matchup. Yeah. But to me, that's the sort of performance that had we had the the luxury now of a live crowd. I think that was the sort of performance that at least in the short term, if she were to walk out Friday night in front of a live crowd, I think we would have had a massive star on our hands for the night. I, I don't know if it would have been a long-term sustained uh, connection with the audience, but I, I feel like that's one of the things that's missing is that organic uh, ability to, to sort of get over, uh, to, to use the inside terms. And, and she stood out to me. And I feel like it, had we had a crowd, we would have, an, at least in the short term, another big star. Right. And I think that too, it's, it's taking advantage of the moments that you get. And those moments for her might not have happened in a regular setting in a ladder match situation, you know, having the chance to, to have those facials and, you know, to hear, you know, the, uh, the conversations or, or whatever was, what was happening. Like I said, I think it, it changed maybe the perception of her as a performer in a good way. 
speak to me a little bit about the importance of not taking yourself too seriously and stepping out of the box for entertainment value. When you arrived in WWE, it was as the, the goth, dark, brooding Christian character. But it could be argued that you and Edge both, your careers really were elevated to the next stratosphere when you got to be silly and kind of be yourselves. At the end of the day, it's entertainment. And the, the audience has to have um, an emotional connection. They have to care about you as a, as a character, as a performer, for them to really care about what you're doing in the ring. And uh, for me, when we came in, like you said, as the brood, it was cool to come into to something where with two guys that I got along with to kind of get my feet wet, to get a comfort level of being in the WWE, being at a, a higher level. Uh, we obviously had the cool entrance music, the cool entrance coming up through the fire, all that stuff helped. But as far as my character goes, I didn't have much development in that sense because I wasn't talking. So I was learning in that instance to get what I had to get across by facials, by body motions and things like that until I did get that opportunity to talk. And to be honest with you, up until that point, I never had a lot of experience on the microphone talking, doing interviews. It just never happened. And I grew up a shy kid. So I was um, you know, terrified of speaking in front of in front of like in the class, I was the kid that was terrified to get picked in class to, to answer a question or to speak in front of the class. And when I started watching WWE as a kid, to me, the wrestlers represented this confidence, this, uh, a person that I wish that I was, that I could be. And when I got into the wrestling business, part of it was kind of going after things that scared me instead of shying away from it and backing up, man, this is scary. I don't know if I can do this. Instead of being that way, I went after it. I went after the things that scared me, uh, talking in front of people, getting a comfort level with that. And in The Brood, when we finally, you know, we broke away from Gangrel and Edge and I were on our own and we were having these chances to talk and, and have some character building moments, it was great for me to have my best friend standing beside me. There was a comfort level there with that. And what we started doing was in these long car rides, we just be doing ridiculous things. You know how it is on the road. You're just mm -hmm. you're trying to, to constantly stay entertained and um, try to find things to kill time on those long drives yeah, and trying to like that. maintain your own sanity. Right. So we were we were doing that. You know, we just started to do these things on TV when the cameras were rolling, and we thought if it was funny and entertaining to us, then maybe other people would find it entertaining as well. We just cranked the volume up to ten. And like I said, we had each other to bounce. You know, I could talk to him and he could talk to me and. And, um, you know, we thought we were the coolest guys in the room, even though we obviously weren't, you know, you, you don't take yourself too seriously. Like you were saying earlier, um, you have to, um, yeah, set that aside. And, and like, especially if you're in a quote unquote, a heel, right. You have to be able to, um, be okay with being the butt of the joke and looking Absolutely. back at the end of the day. Right. But we always had the confidence in ourselves in the ring. Like when we were going out there and doing the five second poses, when we were cracking on those cities and we were making people laugh, we had the ability once that bell rang we could go. And no matter how funny you were, it didn't turn ha ha because we could go. And we could instantly turn the crowd with the way that we worked as well. We could make them hate us by the things that we were doing in the ring. How did that, that next step in that evolution come to be? Was that something that you guys pitched that, that you and Edge decided it was time for a change or did it kind of come about a different way? Yeah, we just, we started getting up, like when we broke away from the brood, you know, we had to kind of start to express ourselves um, as far as, you know, why we were doing these sorts of things. And the first, you know, we had a chance to do the best of seven series with the Hardy Boys, which culminated in the first ever tag team ladder match. And from that, we, you know, we, we were kind of like at that point, kind of even living in the, the shadow of the Hardy Boys a little bit. 
You know, they were the ones that were getting the louder cheers. They were the ones seemingly getting the bigger opportunities, the title matches, and we weren't getting that. And it was a little bit frustrating for us behind the scenes as well. Like we were tight with those guys. So we, like I said, we we made each other. You know, and right. and you know, we had that trust where we made each other. But it was also like, hey, you know, we're just as good as these guys, you know, we should be um, getting these opportunities. So there was a guy named Brian Gortz, who was a writer. And, you know, we just started pitching some stuff and he was laughing at the things we're saying. He's like, you should be doing this stuff on TV. So he kind of gave us an opportunity. And I remember this one time we had a, a sit down um, with coach who was kind of moderating mm-hmm. a conversation between ourselves and the Hardy boys. And um, they literally said, say whatever you want. Really? And we're like, anything? Like, yeah, if it comes to it, we'll bleep. So we started dropping and just started talking and it came from the heart. You know, we were saying what we felt and we, yeah. we believed everything we said and we started dropping it and, you know, we just pulled our microphones off and got up and walked out. And from that, I think they're like, Oh man, these guys got a little bit of something different here. You know, then we got out and we started doing commentary and we had never done commentary before. And we just started saying and doing these things and, you know, telling people we're going to do things before we did them. We're like, Hey, you know, yeah, we're out here for one reason. We're going to watch this match. And when we see our opening, we're going to do a run in. We would just say it like it was, and we would, we would interfere in the match. And, you know, we were doing things like that that hadn't quite been seen or heard before. So it gave us a little bit extra, like I said, it, it gave more layers to what you saw in the ring, something more for the audience to hold on to, to care about whether they liked you or hated you. As long as they were responding to you, they had an emotional connection to you. To me, silence is the enemy when you're a wrestler, when you're a performer, when you're a WWE superstar. Yeah, apathy is the enemy, no doubt about it. Nothing worse than a quiet arena full of fans. It's a little different, <laughs> a little different when you don't have the people there. Uh, what, are, what were your thoughts? What are your thoughts, I should say, uh, across the board right now with the current state of things and the product? Like I said, you know, it's, I think that under the circumstances, everybody stepped up. And, you know, I, I think that, like I said before, I think it's an important time. And to me, WWE has always, there's no off season. There's no stopping. You know, they're here for one reason, and that's to entertain the masses. And that's what WWE does best. And uh, I think it was an important time. And I think it was an, a really important decision for WrestleMania to happen this year. I really believe that it needed to happen. And, you know, I'm thinking about my best friend who just came back after nine years off. Um, coming back unheard of, by the way, to come back from an injury like that. And I know in his head, he envisioned coming back in front of 70,000 people in a stadium. That didn't happen, though. But when I watched it and I still heard his music and I watched him come out and walk down that ramp, I said to myself, it doesn't matter if there is nobody in this building. It doesn't matter if it was in front of 70,000 people. This is one of the best and biggest moments in the history of WrestleMania, in my opinion, just for what this symbolizes. I I think every single performer has stepped up in a different way. Uh, I think of somebody like Zelina Vega, who has just, to me, raised her stock so much. With the most of the opportunity, for sure. In my opinion, killing it. And I I think, like you said earlier with Dana Brooks, same thing. You you take maybe not such a, a, a perfect situation and you make the best of it. And to me, there's certain, you know, talent that have, that have done that. And those are two, two examples right there. But um, I've been impressed with everything that, that, you know, like just, um, you know, giving the world an escape to me is important. And I think that's what's been done. To your point about the, making the most of the opportunity, I, I think certain stars have shown brighter in these circumstances. Uh, and I, to me, it seems weird. It seems terrifying to the thought of, I mean, we've all wrestled in front of 
10 or 15 people, but usually there's at least 10 or 15 people there. So yeah. that, that seems like such a daunting task, but someone like Oscar stands out to me because we're seeing a side of Oscar we've never really seen before. And she seems completely unfazed. Yeah. Like she's in her own world right now. And with yeah. the dancing and the, just the belligerent Japanese yelling, yeah. and it, it's so cool. And it, and it kind yeah. of bursts through your screen. And I definitely think she's, she's another one making the most. I mean, even when she was doing, when she was doing commentary, it was unbelievable. Right. You right. Know? I mean, just, yeah. Like there's another example right there. And um, yeah, I mean, if anything, she's enhanced her value in this, this situation. So now imagine how that's going to, how much more that's going to elevate her when they're, when the crowds come back. Exactly. It's going to happen. It's gonna happen. But how much bigger of a star is she going to be when, when that happens? Right. I'm, I'm really curious across the board once the fans come back. I mean, basically now we've got social media to, to bounce back and, and see what's what's landing and what's not. Um, but once you get that live audience back in, everything could be upside down. We always joke about the night after WrestleMania. It's bizarro world. You know, yeah. the, the, they boo who they normally <laughs> cheer and, yeah. and that whole spiel. It could really be the case on a regular basis because we right. don't know necessarily who people at home are connecting with. I'm really curious to see how that all all plays out in the future. Yeah, same. And you know, I'm really, you know, I was I was thinking about this too when when Drew McIntyre finally. I mean, this is a guy that's been scratching and clawing. Um, you know, he's a guy that that loves what he does, takes it seriously. Um, I've never met a guy, or, or you'd be hard pressed to find a guy that's worked harder than him to mm-hmm. to get this credibility. Um, to where he's at. And I was thinking to myself, man, I would love to have heard that reaction from an audience when he pinned Brock Lesnar. Absolutely. I mean, in my head, I heard it because Drew's a friend of mine and I've wanted that for him for so long. And we, he and I have had a ton of discussions over the years. um, So I know how passionate he is and how he wanted to get to this level. And I'm interested to see, you know, how, how the reactions are for him when he comes back. Cause I'm sure that that they're going to be unreal. G3 Assistance through Virginia's Community Colleges is your pathway to a new future, helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career. Right where you are, right now. Get a skill. Get a job. Get ahead. You can learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. You mentioned Edge. We'll get to that shortly because I, I want to delve in real deep. We I had him on the podcast. We don't have to talk about. Him. We don't have to talk about him. Okay, good. Hey, it's it's been nice having you. <laughs> yeah, okay, <thanks. laughs> no, I actually wanted to talk a little bit more about your career sure. and, and kind of the way it, it came to an end. You and I have had this conversation off air yeah. before, but I know it helped me a lot because you and I kind of faced similar situations in the at the same time. It was it was almost concurrently, and it, yeah. it was. Wait a minute. I mean, you had the the, the opportunity to to fulfill most of your career right. and and become world heavyweight champion and, and capture all these things. But then, sort of quietly, it was very under the radar. Uh, you, you know, you went away for a while, and it, there were rumors, as they often mm. uh, often are. Walk me through that a little bit to when when you were finding out that this was going to be the end of your road. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a like I said, we've talked about it before. It's a tough thing to. Um, to swallow, you know, it's tough. It's a bitter pill to swallow, right? Sure. I mean, kind of being told that it's taken out of your hands, right? You don't have a say in it. You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're medically, you're not cleared to compete. You're on a non-contact list or all these things. So it was a bit shocking, but also, you know, in a weird sense, I was almost kind of expecting it when it happened. So when I talked to the doctor, I said, Hey, it's like any prize fighter. 
you know, you can have a, a chin made of granite and get hit a ton of times and nothing happens. But that one time you get a bad one, you're never quite the same and it's easier to get them after. So at this point, it's not a question of if you're going to get another one, it's when. And that's all I needed to hear. And, and like you said, you know, people talk to me about Daniel Bryan coming back and they said, you know, if he can do it, maybe I said, well, you know, first of all, we're in different situations, you know, and, you know, he's what, probably 10 years younger than me. And so if I was, I was 40 years old when this happened or about to turn 40, I wasn't 30. If I was 30, maybe I'd have a different mindset about it. Mm-hmm. But like you said, you know, I'd accomplished a lot of the things that basically the only thing I never accomplished was main eventing WrestleMania. And let's be honest, how many people actually get a chance to do that? But I really um, kind of maybe even overachieved in a sense and did more than, than maybe I was ever projected to do. And so I was content with the things that I had accomplished and at that age, I'd never envisioned myself as being a guy that hung on too long also. So I didn't want to get in that territory either. But um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's strange, you know, to think that one day you're wrestling and the next day you're, you're not. And it's like, man, you know, and you also have to almost have to step back for a little while. And like, it was hard for me to watch the shows and those sorts of things. And I, being a competitive person, you know, cause it is, it is competitive when you're inside those walls, you know, you want to be the best. So yeah. And people, you know, a lot of people talk to me too. They say, Oh, well, you never got to, to come out and you never got a, a ceremony. You never got to come out and say goodbye. And first of all, I'm, I've never felt like I was one of those guys that needed to do that. Like that wasn't really my thing. I don't even know if I would want to do that anyway, but it's also hard when, it, you know, there's a chunk of time that goes by uh, of a few months and then you're doing these tests and these different things. And then months down the road, they say, okay, you know what? You can't do this anymore. Now to come back on TV and be like, Hey, remember that thing that, I was gone six right, months ago. Right. Guess what? Now, now, like it was just I'd been off a long time. It just seemed weird, like weird timing. It just didn't didn't for me need to happen. That makes a lot of sense. I understand that. I mean, in comparison, Adam went out when he was the champion at the top right, of his game. Yeah. So obviously, there's a lot more gravity yeah, to that situation. Literally saw him a few days previous in a main event at WrestleMania defending his title. It's it's, it's a completely different situation. Right, right. Well, fortunately, uh, you you remained in the family, and uh, once you were forced out of the ring, you kind of were able to to step into some new opportunities. Um, talk a little bit more about that and how ultimately the Edge and Christian show came to be, but you, you kind of, in a way, stepped into the broadcast booth. Yeah. Um, you know, I did have some, some um, visions of, of trying to do what you do at some point. I'm pretty sure we called a few matches at we one did, point. Yeah, I was still uh, yeah. learning. I'm actually yeah. sitting in that room right now <laughs> in the performance really? center. Yeah, it's no yeah. longer the commentary room. It's just kind of a, there's some whiteboards on the walls. But uh, yeah, this is where it was. And I will say this. I mean, and, you know, we've talked about this before. We talked about it when you were on our podcast. It's a hard job. And you, sure. you're really, really good at what you do to make it look as easy as you do. Michael Cole as well. You know, it's just, it's, it's a tough job. It's a tough job to do. But, you know, we're talking about the Edge and Christian show. The what happened was is Edge and I had done the, the Steve Austin podcast. You know, we had done some funny stuff. We have good rapport with Steve, and we always joked around backstage. And we did a little thing where he gave us kazoos, and we pulled out a little ukulele and gave him a little cowboy hat. Did a whole thing, and I think I jokingly had said on there, "Oh yeah, they're going to give us our own network show, and you know, we're going to we're going to do this every week." And then somebody, when we were done that, had said, "Hey, maybe you guys should do a show." And we're like, "Yeah, let us know." And then. You know, we're just kind of leaving at that. And the next thing you know, we did get a call, you know, a few weeks later saying, do you guys really want to try to do something? <laughs> and we're like, sure. What do you want to do? <laughs> well, that's up to you. So we, I don't know. I thought yeah, you knew. So, yeah. So we kind of started spitballing ideas and we came up with the, with the Edge and Christian show that totally reeks of awesomeness. You know, basically a, a variety show. 
Um, it had never been done before. And uh, it was a variety show with a, with a wrestling theme, we called it. So it gives a chance to get the WWE superstars, you know, kind of play them against type, you know, kind of put mm-hmm. them in different situations than you'd expect to see them and have some fun fun times and work with a very light script, a lot of uh, room for ad-libbing and having fun. And, you know, the first season, it was, it was like any show. You know, there's some growing pains. You know, the first three or four episodes, you know, trying to figure out what works, what doesn't. You know, what is this show really? You know, going through some different writers and things like that. Uh, Edge and I ended up taking on uh, more of a hands-on approach as well as far as, far as writing goes. Um, we ended up like kind of tightening up, uh, tightening up our, our writing crew to about five people. Kept it really small. But the first season, um, we were writing in chunks, and then we'd shoot in chunks, and then we'd write in chunks, and then we'd shoot in chunks. So it was kind of like I said, we nothing like that had ever been done before. So we didn't really have it figured out till about halfway through that first season of what the show actually was. And once we we hit that, we got our stride for the second season, we decided what we were going to do is we were going to hunker down in North Carolina um, all in a room for a week. We were going to write the entire season in a week. So ah. that's what we did. We, we The second season, we wrote the entire thing first before anything was shot. And I think that that uh, um, really helped out the process and made things a lot smoother. And, you know, too, with, with, with superstars, you know, kind of reading something on paper, you're like, oh, man, I don't know, this is kind of, it's kind of weird. And then seeing across the board when anybody came on to do the show, you know, if they were tired or, you know, cause you're asking people to come on to, to do things and they're on the road and doing different stuff. And we always try to make it as easy for people as possible to shoot. But the cool thing was, is every superstar to a T when they were done would say, I will come back and do anything you guys want me to do again. That was the most fun I've had in a long time. So yeah, that's, that was, that that's was really the cool. truth, man. That's the, that's the absolute truth. I was, I was lucky enough to do a few things for you yeah. guys. And, and it was, it was, it was just so different from anything that happens within the walls of WWE mm-hmm. and, and on television, you're, you're kind of stuck to your character, at least right. in some, some parameters and to do something that far out of the box was an absolute blast. Um, how much did the success of the show have to do with you guys jumping into the podcast world? Um, none really. We got offered an opportunity to do the podcast and then we're like, "Ah, you know, there's a lot of wrestling podcasts out there. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't want to be just another wrestling podcast. So Adam and I would be sitting on the phone. We'd be talking for 30, 45 minutes, just making each other laugh and saying stupid things. And next thing you know, we're like, yeah, this is pretty much a podcast. You know, if we'd recorded this conversation, we could have put it out as a podcast. So I think we realized there the dynamic is us. Like that's the, that's what makes it different than anybody else. It's like our friendship and the way that we are to each other. Right. And, you know, we literally went into those um, podcasts without any script at all. We just winged everything, including interviews. Like we never wrote down any questions. We just wanted to be like buddies hanging out in a room and like you're a fly on the wall of a conversation, get to sit in with, with some buddies who are just catching up. And um, I think that's kind of what, what made it different. There was like that the cool kind of vibe to it. And that's a hard thing to reproduce. I don't think people that have never tried it realize that you can't really fake chemistry, you can, especially for a long, long form. You can't have a full-blown conversation if you're not really feeling. And like, too, if we didn't really have much to talk about, we would just make like make one comment and then you take one thing and and we just make, you know, just make it into like a 10, 15 minute conversation and make fun of each other or, you know, how, whatever it was. But, you know, we had that that camaraderie and and where we could literally say anything we wanted to the other person and not, wouldn't be offended type thing, you know, and like I said, <laughs> you have to have real chemistry to be able to do that stuff. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I, I don't know. I think you do know this, but you uh, your bar from the Edge and Christian show is now been repurposed as my set for after the bell up in yeah. Stanford when yeah. I actually get to go shoot the show there. So uh, it lives on. It was cool. Like, I mean, they built us a real set, 
Like yeah. when we walked in there, I was blown away. I was like, oh my God, this is like a real television set. I mean, it was unbelievable though, the work and the effort that was put into making that show what it was from, from everybody uh, to, to, you know, I said us and, and, and writing it to the, everybody that was involved behind the scenes went that little extra step to help out and make it what it was. And I think the cool thing was, is everybody across the board that worked on that show, like I said, in front of the camera or behind it, came to work with a smile on their face and left that day with a smile on their face. And that was, that was important. Well, you stuck with the commentary slash on-air personality gig, and now we can find you pretty regularly on uh, FS1 as part yeah. of WWE Backstage. Talk to me about that experience a little bit and how that all came to be. Yeah, I've, I've known Jacob Allman from, from Fox Sports for a long time, um, for many years. I'm going to make a note to my editors that we don't cut that out so I can give a shout out to Jacob. He texted me earlier. So, oh, did it? Yeah, we'll yes. leave that in there. So he, he and I have been buddies for years and um, uh, we, we'd always, every WrestleMania make it a point to go out and have dinner and we'd always say, hey, we never have a bad time when, when, we, when we hang out. And, um, you know, he was just a cool guy, a huge wrestling fan. Same thing, grew up as a kid, as a wrestling fan. And we never, we were just buddies. Like we never ever talked business or anything like that. Never like they were just buddies hanging out. And then when the show came about, um, he texted me and said, Hey, would you want to audition for this? And I was like, of course. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't I? And I'm trying to remember what month that was, but I didn't hear anything for a long time. Like pro almost till, I think that was, I want to say it was probably May or June of last year. And I didn't hear anything until like the fall. Uh, I was like, I guess this isn't happening because I haven't heard anything. And then I just literally got a call of the blue and said, Hey, can you come out and, and do another audition? And so when I got there, like, Hey, we're going to shoot this. Like, like this, this is like a real show. Like this is really happening. Like this is the show. So it was the, the four that were there were Booker, Renee, myself and Paige, which, you know, you, you see quite a bit. And we just kind of hit that that show, that test show, like out of the park, there was just this kind of chemistry. That was the first time that four had been together. And there was just kind of this, uh, I think everybody brought something a little bit different to, to it. And then, um, yeah, I flew home and then they, they did the, the special, which was like literally, I think like a week after that. And I said, Hey, we want you to come back out and do this. And then it just went from there. And then I found myself being a regular on the show from, from that. Very cool. Obviously you have to know what's going on within WWE to, to partake and, and be of value to WWE backstage. How much uh, of the business do you still keep your finger on the pulse of uh, nowadays? Is it more or less than before? You, you mentioned kind of stepping away a little bit. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, honestly, the doing the Edge and Christian show kind of brought, and I know Adam has talked about this as well, kind of reinvigorated, you know, re-energized you a little bit, showed you still have a purpose, even though you're not in the ring. And that's the cool thing now, too, with all these different, you know, branches off the tree. There's still so many things to do within the walls of, of WWE. You know, it just kind of reinvigorated. And, and seeing the, the young talent, you know, and I remember, I just put you know, think about when I was that young, hungry superstar coming in or super, wanting to be that superstar. And I'm um, just seeing the passion in the eyes of, of everybody. And it kind of took me back a little bit and kind of re-energized me and made me start watching. You know, I always kept up with it, but like I said, it was hard to watch. But at the root of it all, I'm a fan. I'm a wrestling fan. Right, and I grew up right. as a wrestling fan. So it is, it's hard to watch as, as a fan sometimes because I'm always kind of breaking down things like, oh, they could have done this, they mm -hmm. could have done that, and maybe if this. And like, it's hard not to be that guy because that's the way that I was. I was a perfectionist when I was in the ring. And, uh, you know, I was a control freak. I always kind of had to, you know, have that control. And it's hard to to not have that But when, you, when you're watching. But like I said, at, at the root of it all, I'm a fan. So I, I, I watch everything as much as I can. 
Right on. To your point about being a fan, I, we all—it's easy to get stuck inside the bubble. And right. w- the the best person to bring me out of the bubble is usually my dad. And for example, after Money in the Bank, I was driving back to the hotel, and he called me, and he said, "Man, that was so much fun. It was so different. It was unlike anything I've seen." He's—I wouldn't want to watch it like that every week. He's like, "But it was cool." And then all of you know my opinions and my thoughts kind of washed away right. because it went, okay, I forget. We're not selling to me. We're not selling to Christian. We're not selling to the people right. within the bubble. There's, there's a, a lot bigger audience watching mm-hmm. them. You know, it's even the vocal minority. We always talk about the people that, you know, listen to this or, or on Twitter, um, the appeal to, to the masses. Who, who are some guys that you watch now uh, that you, you see big things for in the future, or maybe you wish you could would have been able to step in the ring with? Yeah, I mean, I think, obviously, you know, we talked about Drew earlier, you know, at this right. stage, I think he's, I've been in the ring with him before, but I think he's a completely different competitor than when, when I last wrestled him, you know, I think of a guy like him, I think of a guy like Alistair Black, who I'm a big fan of, um, you know, he just seems always so cool and composed to me, you know, like, there's no situation that would ever phase this guy. And I think that's the kind of mindset you have to have to get to different levels. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have that confidence, you have to be unflappable in a sense. And I see that in him, um, you know, looking at NXT, like a guy like Tommaso Ciampa, who just the way that he committed to his persona and the way that nobody, it's like, it's hard to be different. And he really, to me, was different in a lot of ways because of that, you know, doing that stuff on social media, just being himself, being that 24 hours a day, no matter where it was. And to me that, that stood out and made him, um, that we talked earlier about, um, the adding layers to your character to, to mean, to have the things that you do in the ring mean more. And to me, that was an instance of that. Um, I see a guy like Keith Lee, you know, there's nobody like that guy. You know, I think about AJ Styles who I'd wrestled with in the in years before, but never in, in WWE. So he's, he's at that stage where he's one of these guys where you, you almost never, you never see him in a bad match. You know, he's going to go oh, up yeah. there and he's, he's going to do something great. So, right. um, and I always felt like that was, I felt that about myself. I always felt like I was going to go out and have a good match. And I could go out there and be a guy that would have a good match with anybody on the card. And I was prided that I had a lot of pride in myself because of that. So uh, I look at AJ as, as a guy like that as well, man, you know, a guy like Sami Zayn, you know, I could see me tearing up with Sami Zayn or even Kevin Owens. Um, there's so many, you know, and to think about the, 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 the changeover in the, the talent, but that's, uh, that's exciting. It's exciting to see these, uh, these young hungry guys and girls. It's funny. It's completely unrelated to anything. But as you were telling that story and you mentioned AJ Styles, it reminded me of the match that never was between yeah. you and I. Right. We shot an angle in yeah. England. In England, yeah. <laughs> you were the you were the NWA champion, I believe, yeah. at the time. Yeah. And and we shot an angle on the first night of a two night set. And apparently, nobody bothered to consider that you had to fly back to Toronto to like shoot a movie or something yeah. at the time. <laughs> yeah. So we booked this angle with me against you, and then it just never happened. It never happened, yeah, ever. And now it never will. <laughs> yeah, leave, leave them wanting more. You know, what we can do we can do like that scene from Rocky. Yeah, you know, there you where, go. Where we just end up in a in, in a, an empty gym, empty gym somewhere, and we go to lock up, and just you know, dang, dang it's over. <laughs> So you're talking about all these these younger superstars that really impressed you. Was there a moment that you can think of off the top of your head that was kind of the aha moment for Christian as a singles competitor once you had risen to the top of the, the tag team division and you and Adam sort of went your separate ways? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was tough. Um, I had a tough time when I uh, became a singles wrestler. You know, I, I really did have a, a tough time transitioning because there's a different mindset. 
It really is, you know, and I, I was thinking like a tag team guy, cause you know, as a part of a team, you have to have, you know, part your part of your ego has to go away because you can't have an individual ego in a team to really make a team work. Um, you can't have any visions of being like, okay, you know, I'm the, I'm the main guy in this team. You know, you, you can't be like that. You have to be equals. And, and I felt that we, we had that. And when I stepped away, I very much had the mindset of still being a tag team guy. So when I was trying to envision matches or piece things together, I still very much thought that way. And I put a lot of pressure on myself, uh, maybe too much pressure. And I was having a hard time adjusting. I was, I was not confident. Once your confidence goes away, it's tough. It's really tough. Right. And I saw myself as a singles guy. You know, I had a big opportunity um, with the Intercontinental Championship. And, you know, I think back to, um, you know, when Edge and I split up, I don't think I did myself any favors by not really changing the, the Christian part of Edge and Christian. I still came out as the guy that looked like Christian from Edge and Christian. And I, I, I missed an opportunity there to change that part of me up and be different and be start to be accepted as something different outside of, of that. And, um, you know, I had a big opportunity with the intercontinental championship. And like I said, it also becomes one of these things where there's too many cooks in the kitchen, right? Like I was listening or, or asking and listening to a lot of advice instead of listening to my instincts. And I had good instincts, but I, I forgot to listen to them. So I was, people would be giving me advice and I, and instead of, you know, taking the pieces that I thought I could use and apply them, I was trying to do everything just to, so I could go back and say, Hey, I tried, I tried this. I tried that. I did this. I did that. And I'm trying, you know, and, but it doesn't, and well, not that it was bad advice, but it not, might not have been the right advice or it could have been a piece of advice that didn't work in this instance, but it might work down the road. So you right. put it in the deposit in the bank. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And take it out when you need it. So I went home and I just looked at myself in the mirror one day and I, I said, I saw myself starting to drop down the card, like all the way down to the bottom. And I came home and I was not having fun. And that's the thing. I always had fun every single day. Every time I stepped in that ring, it was, it was not work to me. That was where I was, I was meant to be. I was born to be between those ropes in that ring and I was not having fun and I wasn't happy. And I went home one day and I looked myself in the mirror and I said, this is it, man. Like if, if you don't pull your socks up here and go to work, if you don't figure this out, you're going to get fired. So that's the worst that's going to happen to you. So what do you do now? Well, I got nothing to lose. So I just said, hey, I'm just going to listen to myself. I know I can do this. I know that, like I said before, my instincts are good. I have instincts for this. So I would still take that advice and be like, oh, Kat, thanks. I appreciate it. And they said, take the pieces that I thought I could use and apply them, whatever. But I really started to trust myself again and trust my own instincts. And instead of um, acting, I was reacting. You know, when you're out there in front of a live audience, I was taking what they were giving to me and reacting instead of trying to force things. And to me, I just, it, it, it all turned around really quickly, you know? And once I started getting that confidence back, I'm like, man, I can do this. And I don't think there's, in my opinion, there's anybody that can do it the way that I do it. And then that just gave me everything I needed. And I, I felt myself starting to climb back up the car. What advice, uh, if any, would you offer to somebody who could potentially be seeing their passion wane or, or start feeling the way that you felt? Because I think it's cyclical. Everybody that steps within these doors and is in this business goes through ups, goes through downs. But to your point, everyone unanimously agrees that the stuff that happens from bell to bell is the reward. That's the fun part. People would do that for free. It's, right. We always make the joke, they pay us for the travel and all the yeah. headaches that come with it. It's true. Um, what What's something you could maybe say to somebody who might be, I, I don't know, second guessing themselves or feeling that kind of way? 
number one, I would say, if you feel like you have instincts, trust them. You know, they're the, they're there for a reason, and nobody knows yourself better better than you. And 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 I know it's been said before, but anytime you get an opportunity, make the most of the opportunity. Whether it's a minute or whether it's twenty minutes, it doesn't matter. Stand out in that time. Um, I remember back to like I said, when things weren't so good for me. I remember uh, being part of a backstage thing where Mark Henry was like doing feats of strength. Like he was lifting cars and rolling up um, frying pans and ripping apart phone books and doing these things. All legitimately, by the way. Yeah. Legit. Yeah. <laughs> like legit. And I have another Mark Henry, Henry story in a second. It's pretty funny, but like, I was like, man, like now I'm just a guy standing here watching Mark Henry lift up cars. Like, and then I looked around and I don't know. I wasn't like asking people or talking to people or judging anybody about how they felt, but I knew how I felt about it. And I was like, you know what, if I'm going to stand here and watch Mark Henry lift a car, I'm going to be the best person standing here watching Mark Henry lift a car. And I started to like make these like grand gestures and doing this, like, you know, kind of standing out from everybody else. It was just kind of a wallflower. And next thing you know, I was the guy that was like placed, taking the bets and doing the things and it kind of morphed from there and turned into something else. And it was like I said, you, whatever opportunity can you, how can I be the best version of what is, is being asked here? What can I do to stand out in this one minute? What can I do to be better? So that's, uh, that'd be my advice. That's excellent. Uh, what, what's your other Mark Henry oh, story? Yeah. So, so we were in this like old, like Southern arena somewhere and, 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 uh, <laughs> there was this door that was going to the locker room. It was this giant steel door. And for whatever reason, it kind of had come off a hinge and it was, it was the bottom part of it was stuck into the ground. And you had guys like Godfather and Ron Simmons and JBL and all these guys are two or three at a time trying to lift this door to move it. And nobody can move it. And everybody's like talking about this door and this like two or three guys at a time trying to lift this thing. And all of a sudden, you know, Mark comes walking in, looks like he had a nap somewhere, you know, just kind of the slow way that he walks. He sees that he can't get around the store and he just looks at it and, literally picks it up and walks it over and drops it and then keeps walking. And everybody's like, Oh my God, John, like and the people have been like there for an hour trying to lift this door, two or three guys at a time. And Mark just lifts the thing up and chucks it. It's like ridiculous. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> what, what are some of the, uh, some of the, let's go with the less uh, loved moments of your career. You're talking about, you know, overcoming the, the downslide at, yeah. at one point in your career. What are some things that you had to deal with that you, you would, say, look, you look back on now and go, man, I'm glad I did it that way. But some of the things that kind of threw you off. Off the top of my head was, um, yeah, I mean, I think maybe I think about the Un-Americans, you know, and when we were doing the Un-American faction, it was hard for me to put myself um, in that position because I was living in Tampa. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it wasn't just that, but I was like, I, I wasn't, it was, it was hard for me at that point. Like I said, I would, I had just been on a pretty unsuccessful um, singles run, trying to figure that out. And then I was put in this and then it was always like, well, am I in this because I couldn't succeed as a singles guy and then not seeing it for what it was as an opportunity, right? And almost, you know, didn't realize at that point you're portraying a character here, you know, and I'm, I'm really not this guy that hates the United States. I'm really not this guy, but you don't have to be that guy because, you know, if you're, and I don't want to say I was half-assing because I never half-assed anything, but I couldn't figure out how to make it work. Uh, in a timely manner. And I put that on myself. Um, I was given the opportunity to go out there and to do and to, to, to portray that and to become a really hated character, which is what you want. You want an antagonist to make your hero come out and come out on top. And it is what it is, but I couldn't, I couldn't put my, myself aside and become this. And I had a hard, hard time with that. And 
um, I learned a big lesson from that because after that, there was no real direction for me. It's like, hey, we don't, we don't know what else we got. So again, you find yourself in a situation. It was a real learning experience for me because it was, like I said before, maximizing any opportunity that you get. And I had to say, hey, anything you get, you have to, you have to figure out what that thing is and commit to it. And I, and that was a huge learning experience for me because I didn't fully commit. Not that I didn't want to, but I couldn't figure out how to. And you have to figure that out. What's that one thing that you can grab onto that you can commit? And it's not going to, and that, that was, like I said, I, I realized in that moment it didn't work because the audience could tell that I didn't believe it. In turn, they didn't believe it because I didn't believe it because I hadn't committed to it the way that I should have. So that was also a huge learning thing for me that I was like, hey, if I ever get some of this again, you know, the commitment level is is going to change. I've heard some tales. I, I don't know where, maybe on the, on the internet, or maybe you might have told me uh, regarding the un-Americans. Somebody was afraid uh, in the group because it was getting more of a reaction than anybody expected. Or no, well, I mean, I think when you're when um, no, I think that was overblown a little bit. Okay, you know, and and I think that it was just you know trying to to all get on the same page as far as you know how do we make this thing work. And I know those things have been said, but okay. was, I can assure you that wasn't the case. It was just like I said, we, I, I think I know from my own personal opinion, I don't know how the other guys felt, but like, um, that was the reason to me why it didn't work. I've also kind of found it weird that, uh, pro wrestling seems to be the only place in the world where Canada is consistently villainous toward the United <laughs> States. Yeah. 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 I, I've always been fascinated by that. Yeah. Uh, and it's still, it works. So, I mean, if it works, <laughs> why fix it? But yeah. I've always found that to be a little interesting. Yeah. All right. The time has come to talk about your good friend. So, so what, what's going through your mind as you're, you're watching? I mean, obviously we watched the, the special, the WWE network yeah. did on it. Unbelievable, was, by the way. It, it was yeah, unreal. Just, I, yeah. I told him myself, man, I said, I'd be lying if it didn't give me that, that itch again and kind of right. like, wow, anything's possible. What was going through your mind when all this was going down? Yeah. I mean, obviously um, I kind of knew some things, uh, you and I are, are, we you know we're not brothers, but we are brothers. So, you know, we have that, that bond. So, you know, you know how the story goes when we fell off the mountain bike and, and, uh, you know, when you realize that, Hey, I'm kind of all right from, from falling off this mountain bike, you know, I can still yeah. walk and move my arms and all these sorts of things. And, you know, he had called me and said, Hey, I'm, I feel like maybe I can do this again. I was like, are you sure? Like, he's like, yeah, I don't know. Like uh, the, the fall and the whole thing. He's like, he told me, he said, I set up a, a doctor's appointment on my own. I'm just going to go and check. And that way, you know, I have, and I said, Hey, it's great for your own peace of mind. I said, if it's, it's, it's on your mind, if it's something that you're consciously thinking about, then go see a doctor. The worst they're going to say is no. And then you're in the same boat you were yesterday. Exactly. But if you're, if they say, Hey, you can do this, you got a, a blank slate here. You can do whatever you, you want to do. And if nothing else, you know, you can live your life knowing that, you know, you're okay to, to try different things that you might've been scared to try in the past physically. So I think the, the enticing thing for him was, is that, you know, we had nothing left to prove. But it's also, you and I both know this as well, it's hard when your final chapter is written for you. And you know now he has a chance to come back and rewrite that final chapter himself. And it's unheard of, you know, especially for an injury like this, you know, to, for somebody to come back. And, you know, also to keep it quiet. It's in this day and age to keep things quiet and right. to it's legitimately be a surprise. Yeah. And, I, and I've never gotten that. I never, like, I never go to a movie being like, I I already know the finish of this movie. Like I already know how it's going to end. Yeah. I've, I've never, I've never, as a fan, I don't get why I don't get that. So yeah. but that's a whole other discussion for another day. But I mean, to, for the fact that he was able to keep it under wraps the way that he did for it to be a legit reaction, like 
um, you know, you saw in the special with like those, the bars and these um, parties, these Royal Rumble parties and stuff, the way that they, they erupted when he came back to me, those are special moments. And, you know, you can't manufacture those. They're organic. And, uh, you know, it was, it was huge. I completely agree. I mean, I was, I was calling the match when it happened and it was a surprise to me. You didn't know? I didn't know. I, I had heard, I had an inkling, but yeah. I didn't know when in the match or if, it, even if it was going to be that night. And man, when the drums hit at the beginning, it was probably me was, texting you saying, Hey, Ed just coming out. Yeah, Ed just coming out. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't want the movie spoiled for yeah. you, but you spoiled the yeah. return for me. Yeah. No. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, man, it, it was, it was one of those organic, just everyone in that stadium felt awesome. And, yeah. and I'll never forget the feeling. It, it was, it, it, you, you could feel the noise and it's very rare. I mean, you and I have both been in front of, thousands and thousands of people and stadiums yeah. and but to actually just be sitting there at ringside and feel the energy of the stadium like that i can yeah. only imagine what was going through adam's mind and body as he's it's for him you know what i mean yeah but what a moment i know and, and, and like i said as, a, as and you, you know this too when you get in there that feeling that instant you know reaction that you get when it's a big moment and there's no feeling like it you can't replicate it with anything and it's addictive it's an addictive, it's a rush. And, and that feeling, um, you know, when you have an amazing match, when you know that you've knocked something out of the park or something big has happened, like there's times where you can't even sleep at night because your adrenaline is just kicking, you know? And it's one of those things where I, I wanted to go out and watch out somewhere in the crowd so I get a live feel for it, but just the way that it was set up, I couldn't get out there. So I was standing at the curtain when he went out. I was like standing behind him when his music hit. And when his music hit and he walked out and I heard it and I kind of heard it and I got like, I got that feeling again, like goosebumps on it. I almost, I had to walk away. Because it was like, I had to like calm myself down because it was almost like going out there yourself in a sense, you know what yeah, I mean? Like that, that, yeah. that just, I had to walk away and kind of get my composure and then come back a little bit because it was, it was overwhelming. Yeah. Overwhelming is a good way to put it. And I can only imagine how you feel. I'm nowhere near as close with him as you are, obviously lifelong friends, but just having the relationship I have with him and knowing how much he loved the business. It was such a feel almost vicarious living for me kind of going, man, yeah. if I could have done it this way, this would, you know, this yeah. would have been it. So it was definitely really, really cool. I'll never forget that at all. What else is on the agenda for Mr. Christian these days? Uh, obviously backstage, uh, do you ever put any thought into like coaching or, or anything down here at the PC? Yeah. I mean, I've been down there a few times, um, and helped out. Uh, I've, I've sat in some of Sean Michaels classes when he's been out and things like that. So I, I do, I, I mean, I, I enjoy, you know, I've been never, I never take anything off the table, you know, if it's the right opportunity or whatever. And I definitely feel like, you know, like we talked about before, when I first stepped away, it's hard. It was hard to kind of wrap your brain around it, you know, and, but I'm in a different place now, you know, some five plus years later. So, um, you know, yeah, if it was the right situation, the right opportunity, I've always, you know, like it's a beautiful thing about this business is that is that everybody kind of passes along what they've gained knowledge wise along the way. I don't know everything, but I know a lot. Like I said before, I had good instincts and I felt like I had a good way of seeing matches and, and things like that. And I always felt like not to blow my own horn here, but um, I felt like I was always able to make people wrestle up to a higher level. And I thought that that was the key to being what we call a good worker is being able to, to, to have everybody step up a level. And I, I felt like I, I had that. So yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, at some point um, we'll see what happens, but I would, I would never take anything off the table. And like I said, I would be more than happy to, to pass my knowledge along to anybody that wanted to, that wanted it. Well, there is no doubt you are a wealth of knowledge. I appreciate you uh, sharing some of that with us this week on ATB. I've been 
trying to get this hooked up for the past couple of weeks and you yeah, know, no it finally happened. I was like, uh, who else can't we get uh, yeah. Christians on standby? Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get it over with. <laughs> well, hey, I appreciate you hanging out. Let's, yeah, uh, let's do this again. Anytime you want, man. The floor is yours. Yeah, well, you're one of my favorite guys. You know that. I like hanging out with you, like having a beer and catching up and chatting. So hopefully we'll get to a chance to do that pretty soon. All right, dude. I'll talk to you soon. See you, buddy. Alas, our time here this week is running low. So before I bail on you, I'll leave you with a little zen. I'm still on this stoicism kick for whatever reason. This came from a man by the name of Seneca. He says, leisure without study is death, a tomb for the living person. It feels apropos. Christian, my guest, and I obviously have had to change plans several times during our life. And just because you're not doing work doesn't mean you can't keep your brain strong. Take that advice. Seriously, if you're not doing anything, try to learn something. It will help you at some point, I swear. Thanks once more to Captain Charisma, Christian, for stopping by the show. Going to have him back sometime for sure. Uh, between now and then, make sure you follow at After the Bell WWE on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Use the hashtag After the Bell if you want to join the conversation. And I know I say this all the time, but if you're using Apple Podcasts and you haven't left me a review yet, Shoot me five stars, please. Or shoot Christian five stars. I'm sure he'd appreciate it. If you're using an Android, follow ATB on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, or Google Podcasts so that you never, ever miss an episode. Should you feel so inclined, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at WWE Graves. And I will be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, and more WWE after the bell. G3 Assistance through Virginia's Community Colleges is your pathway to a new future. Get a skill. Get a job. Get ahead. Learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3.